Welcome to the latest episode of the Noid Knowledge Podcast. I'm Meg LaRue, your podcast co-host and group editorial director of Cannabis Science and Technology and Cannabis Patient Care Magazines. And I'm Evan Friedman, Vice President of Scientific Cell Company and your other host here at the Noid Knowledge Podcast. This month, we have the pleasure of speaking with Otha Smith III, the CEO of Tetragram. Otha has been a longtime entrepreneur with several other business ventures under his belt prior to launching Tetragram. Tetragram was started to offer patients a journal-style app to help keep track of which products treat their symptoms best so that they can get the most out of their cannabis experience. As a patient himself, Otha found it extremely important to keep track of the cannabis products he purchased. After trying so many products, he quickly realized he couldn't remember how each product made him feel, which led him to find a better solution for cannabis patients. Today, we'll be discussing Otha's history in the industry, obstacles he's overcome, exciting research endeavors, and more. Otha, thank you for joining us. Let's jump right in and expand our Noid knowledge. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> um, so you've shared your patient story with us previously at Cannabis Patient Care, but for anyone that might have missed that event, can you please tell us what led you to medical cannabis and eventually starting Tetragram? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, unfortunately, it was due to a tragic event. Um, in 2006, I was involved in a car accident uh, where I fell asleep at the wheel, ejected from the car. Um, and as a result of that car accident, I suffered a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. Um, and so, you know, prior to use prior to that car accident, I've always been a fan of cannabis, you know, recreationally using it in high school, using it in college. But after that car accident, you know, everything changed. I was prescribed a number of different opioids, you know, you name it, I tried it. And after three years of using pills, I was just like, you know, enough's enough. Um, I really didn't like the side effects associated. We know how dangerous prescription pills and opioids can be. Um, so I decided to put all my faith back into plant medicine. And that's where, you know, my love for cannabis uh, resurfaced. And, you know, it took it from there, you know, as the industry at that time, cannabis wasn't legal um, like it is today. So I was just relying on getting cannabis from, you know, my legacy dealer in order to uh, supplement my use. And then, you know, once it started to become legal across the country, you know, and I'm a native of Maryland. So once it became legal in Maryland from a medical perspective, you know, I jumped at the opportunity, got my card entered a dispensary for the first time and was just completely blown away with all the different choices to choose from, different uh, products, different consumption methods. I mean, it was just, it was overwhelming. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've never heard before when it came to cannabis was like terpenes and cannabinoids. I'm like, say what? I thought I knew everything there was about cannabis. But uh, clearly that wasn't the case. And then as I started just circling the country and going to other states that started to open up legal programs, whether it be medical or recreational, I just knew that, man, there's a big gap when it comes to the amount of information that us as consumers can utilize in order to find the right product to meet our needs. So that's that's what really started me on this journey. Um, just knowing that I was drinking from a fire hose and someone who's, you know, used cannabis for 20 plus years, if I'm having this experience, I can only imagine what someone who has never tried cannabis before might be going through. You said it, man. And and your experience was in a dispensary in in Maryland, right? Like, yep. not even walking into the Planet Thirteens of of the country, and like, oh, can you can you imagine wh what that experience must be like? And like, uh, the the answer is, uh, can I just have some weed? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, a hundred percent, man. I mean, still, when I go into dispensaries today, and you know, MJ Bizcon is always hosted out in Vegas, so I always stop by uh, Planet Thirteen just to see what's new and exciting. And I still feel overwhelmed. Like I don't know what to buy. I don't know where to start. Um, yeah, it's information overload. It's analysis paralysis. Like, what what are you gonna do? It's intimidating uh, too. I would say, like, it's. It's, it's a lot. I, I, and and maybe even for for someone like you or me with with uh, a long history with the plant, 
I, it, maybe it's kind of embarrassing. Like I have questions about <laughs> smoking or, or consuming cannabis. Like, yeah. uh, do, do yeah. I really want to ask this out loud? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and if you notice, like you'll see people in those stores. I mean, Planet 13 is a great um, example, but even smaller stores, like, you know, the neighborhood store of the street, you actually will see people in there and they just look glazed over. Like, I uh, don't know where to start. And, um, you know, it's a big problem in this industry because we were so excited to legalize it. And we were like, yeah, you know, states are allowing it to be legal, but we didn't do the proper steps to make sure that we understood the product um, a lot better before we just started, you know, putting it in people's bodies. Live beta testing. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. We're all guinea pigs, you know. <laughs> uh, but so, okay. So you, you took this, this experience that, many if not everybody has with with the market and you've you've created tetragram so tell us tell us what is tetragram as it stands today do what what sort of plans do you have to expand that in the future how do you help with this problem that clearly is is serious yeah, no doubt. Um, so when I looked at the industry and started, you know, talking to different consume other patients, um, talking to you know medical providers and dispensary staff, the one thing that was always constant was, you know, you got to keep a journal, you got to write it down, you got a Walmart selection of products to choose from. You're not going to be able to remember how each product made you feel. And so that's when I had the light bulb effect and was like, yeah, I see the I see the benefit in journaling. I mean, this journaling's been around for a hundred years, man. I mean, ever since people have been able to walk, they've been journaling, you know, what they use when when it comes to food intake or how they exercise. And so, you know, in this industry, it's just much more paramount. So with this first version that my partners and I built, we just wanted to address the immediate need because I mean, quite frankly, did we know if it was gonna have market adoption? No. You know, I don't think anyone knows when they first build something. And so you know, we just wanted to address the immediate need, which is provide consumers, whether you're cannabis or CBD, with the ability to say, all right, I bought this product. Uh, these are the terpenes and cannabinoids it consists of. This is where I made the purchase. And then more importantly, this is how I consume the product, whether it be inhalation, orally, or topically. Um, and then if they wish, they can associate that product with a medical condition and then rate how effective or non-effective it was, and then share that information anonymously with others across our HIPAA compliant platform. And the community side of Tetragram is something that was very important to us as founders because you know, prior to COVID, like <laughs> cannabis was always passed around and enjoyed with multiple people, right? So you know, I, I always say it's the most communal plant in the world, so we really wanted to foster that and allow people to share their reviews anonymously so that, you know, if you come to the review side, you can actually click on like PTSD or even something as simple as relaxation and start to see other products that people have utilized for those, uh, those situations so that it can kind of give you a head start because let's face it, cannabis isn't cheap. <laughs> no. Uh, and when you're hunting for a per particular chemotype, uh, it, it can get even more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we built with our MVP and, you know, uh, with the grace of God and our hard work, um, it, and the market has just received it with open arms to the point where, I mean, we literally put zero money into marketing. It's just besides our flyers and t-shirts and stuff like that, you know, we really relied on the industry to embrace us and this technology that was going to not only uplift the customer. Uh, but uplift the industry, right? Because, you know, there's so much data out there regarding sales and this is selling at this rate, that's selling at that rate. But the most important data is how that product makes us feel when we leave it, when we leave the dispensary. So outcome data. Um, so we also have a white label version of Tetragram that I'm excited about too, which is, you know, an application that we build specifically for cannabis and psilocybin research. I mean, we're pretty much product agnostic. So whether it be MDMA, ketamine, I mean, you know, if there's research opportunities out there, we want to get involved as that data collection partner uh, with these uh, brands, with these universities and independent researchers. That's, that's fantastic. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the user experience on your app. And I know you mentioned to us that you're thinking about integrating with wearable devices such as Fitbit 
Can you tell us some more about that and, and how that might work for, for patients and consumers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so we're working on version two right now as we speak. I can talk a little bit about it. You know, uh, what it, what's the word? What do they say? Uh, you know, uh, being secretive is the key to wealth. But uh, some of the features that I can talk about is definitely, um, you know, the wearable devices that you mentioned. So, you know, that's something that's really important, right? Because I know there's been times when I've consumed a cannabis product and next thing I know, I, I'm like jumping out of my skin. Like my heartbeat is just going a mile a minute. Um, I'm really paranoid and I'm like, damn, what, what? I'd like to know like what my actual heart rate increased to, what my blood pressure increased to, because, you know, at the end of the day, like I view cannabis at one point in time becoming personalized medicine. And so um, the more we can understand how your body is and your, your endocannabinoid system is interacting with these cannabis products and these terpenes and cannabinoids, the more we can home in on what's working best for you. You know, another thing I like to shout out about is um, Charissa Jackson with um, uh, We Decode. So this is really exciting what she's been uh, launched, which is basically... Um, and, and for people who don't know, Teresa Jackson is the chief medical examiner for AMVETS, you know, if not the largest veteran community organization in the country. And so, as we all know, veterans, you know, they come home from war, they suffer from PTSD, among many other symptoms. And so with We Decode, Teresa Jackson is really getting to that personalized medicine by providing veterans with a DNA kit so that they can swab their mouth. That DNA sample gets sent back to the lab. And then we start to analyze the DNA sequence and try to match terpenes and cannabinoids that are going to align best for them. And then utilize Tetragram as that data collection partner, right? So that we can gather this data and really show the impact that cannabis has. Because as we all know, and we don't have to get into it because that's a whole other conversation, but you know, our country has really done veterans a disservice in, in the sense of, you know, just providing them with prescription pills and so forth um, as, a, as when we have this great plant-based medicine that is clearly effective. Um, but, you know, some other things of V2 that we're going to be allowing is, um, you know, customers to actually have a community. So like in version one, where we allow people to share their reviews anonymously, we want to get people to, we want to foster that because if you look at Facebook groups and if you look at uh, Instagram. Well, Instagram is kind of like, forget about it, but, um, and Reddit is kind of wide open, but these are very limited platforms that people don't really have the ability to engage directly with other people and be open about their cannabis use. And so we're going to foster that in version two, where we allow people to not only share their reviews, but more so engage directly with each other. That's awesome. And that the work you mentioned with Teresa Jackson sounds really impactful and, um, really great. I can't wait to hear more about that. Is it close to like live? Is it out already that, that program or is it still oh, yeah. being created? Oh no, it's totally live. I actually just got my results back uh, yesterday. So I'm like, I've been trying to find time to just see what my, what my results are. So um, shout out to Teresa Jackson for, you know, highlighting us and being a partner in that, but that's going to be, I mean, that's, that's revolutionary, you know? Um, so it's going to be really cool to see how that plays out. So I'll keep you posted on the results. <laughs> yeah, please do. We do an annual veterans issue on cannabis patient care. So, I mean, we love helping vets and getting the word out for them because it is so needed to, to help them and get them off the opioids and other prescription drugs. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, that's why you hear veteran 22 so often because, it's unfortunate that 22 veterans commit suicide every day. And that's, um, that's just something we got to address and make top of mind. It's, it's so unnecessary. The, the suffering and, and the, the outcomes of it. We, we, these, these are people that, that have given so much of themselves. And uh, we've said, be, be our guinea pigs for for all this other chemical, uh, essentially warfare. <laughs> you know, yeah. test this, try this. Let's see what happens here. Like, right? <laughs> Call me in a couple of days. You know, <laughs> it's it's wild. So, oh, and this pl- and this plant that we know that's that's safe and has been helping people for thousands of years. Uh, if you use it, you can't come back here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Lose all your benefits. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's it's 
great to hear that uh, the VA is open to this kind of research now as well. Um, yeah, I mean, to a degree, but I mean, you know, uh, Teresa Jackson is just one of those who's just going to fall on that sword and say, hey, this is what I believe in. This is what I stand for. And, you know, like it or not. And uh, you need people like that who, um, you know, go against the grain because, you know, those are the true revolutionaries. Those are the people who, you know, uh, create change. Right. And uh, that's, you know, what I'm trying to be an example of. Hopefully I get there. But, you know, it's just all about, from my perspective, you know, being someone that's used opioids and knowing how damaging that can be. And like you said, we got a plant that's been around for the beginning of, of this of Mother Earth. And, you know, God put it here for a reason and for us to utilize it. And so let's um, let's show his true benefit and, uh, you know, drive that, for, that further. Amen. <laughs> I just took everyone to church just now. <laughs> Preach. Uh, so, OK, so th this is. This is fascinating. That research is really interesting. I think personalized medicine is absolutely the future. And and all of the entheogens ha have roles to play in in figuring out how to how to overcome the the traumas that that trap us. Right. You had a you had a TBI that the T is trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. Um uh, and it happens to all of us. I I have my own horror story with uh, with opioids. I I ended up in rehab because uh, I was hit by a car, and uh, opiates, 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 and uh, uh, eventually, like it, something had to give. Uh, yeah. And I'm very happy that uh, it wasn't my life that that was given. Hundred um, percent. Uh, and, and so I, that I, I want to understand what, what other avenues of research, uh, I, I, I know that you've been working with, uh, our friend, Dr. John Abrams and the CESC, uh, I, you, I think yes. you've been working with some, some even more notable, uh, institutions as well. Tell us what, what other research you've gotten into. Yeah, so uh, the thing with John Abrams with the dosing project, I'm really excited to do that. Um, you know, that's something that we're going to be rolling out um, later as um, version two gets uh, deployed. But, you know, it's just there's so many rabbit holes that go down when it comes to cannabis. It's like, OK, you know, not only do we need to figure out which terpenes, which cannabinoids are showing to be most effective for X, Y and Z condition. But also, what's the dosing amount, right? Like, and so I think that's something that the dosing project, hence the name, can really us working together can really drill down on. Because, I mean, I can tell you personally, I've been in this industry since 2016, and you know, it took me two years. Um, this was before Tetragram was out, but uh, <laughs> it took me two years to find the right, not only the right product, but also the right um, dosing amount. So, like for me personally, I found out that. You know, flour that's a one-to-one, -one, equal parts CBD, equal parts TAC, doesn't work. But if I take a 10 milligram gummy that's a one-to-one, -one, does magic for me. And so, you know, knowing that dosing amount is huge, which is one of the reasons in Tetragram, we allow people to get really granular when it comes to how they're consuming the product. So not only what device did you use, did you use a, a vape, a joint, um, but also what form did the product come in? Because that's very important. Um, but the other research that we're working on, something soon that will be coming out is with um, with Siri. Um, so Siri is um, Cannabis Education Research Institute. And so we're going to be doing some research where it's going to be survey based to really understand the impact that cannabis is having on people completely voluntary. Um, but that will be coming out soon. Um, starting to work with uh, John Hopkins University right in my backyard. So uh you know, that's really exciting given how, you know, the stance of John Hopkins, you know, being rated one of the top universities and hospitals for like, God knows how many consecutive years now, um, but doing some research with them in conjunction with the Connor Sheffield Foundation. And so Connor Sheffield, for those who don't know, uh, was very instrumental in Maryland because Connor Sheffield himself 
suffers from uh, an array of gastrointestinal problems. And so at a young age of 14, he was actually uh, instrumental in getting Connor's courage passed in Maryland, which basically allows um, any person, any staff of, of that school to administer cannabis or CBD without the fear of prosecution, which is huge. Um, and so he has a direct tie with John Hopkins University because they've been studying his GI issues for years. And so now we're starting to do a fundraising effort so that we can uh, collect funds in order to support this research opportunity around cannabis. And it's going to be focused on various aspects of PTSD. So, you know, trauma, as you mentioned, having comes in several forms, right? It could be, you know, my car accident. It could be PTSD from the war. It could be childhood PTSD from being in, uh, you know, a not so fortunate childhood. So that's something I'm really excited about. And then we're knocking on the door of uh, mushroom research, which is something that's really fascinating as well. Um, I've dabbled in mushrooms when I was in high school and college, but you know, I can tell you now that I've been utilizing them a lot more. I mean, almost to a daily routine um, and, you know, of course, microdosing, but uh, there's a lot of benefit there and it's shown to be a lot, a lot of relief for uh, PTSD with veterans too. So, you know, the runway is, uh, is far and great and we're just trying to uh, capitalize on this momentum. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think the, the microdosing thing is, is really interesting. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, where Tetragram can, can take some, some experiential data in terms of fungi in general, uh, there, there's opportunity, right? Because it's not just, uh, psilocybin containing mushrooms that have their effect right uh i i don't uh take uh those kinds of mushrooms every day but i take uh, a pill with uh, a capsule with six different types of mushrooms you know chaga reishi turkey tail cordyceps right there's there's and i i know when i didn't take it one day like i i can feel it has its impact on on my energy on my uh immune uh response uh so uh, the, yeah that's uh, a great point that's a really great point like it doesn't have to be the psychoactive uh mushrooms right like um i've tried the the caps that uh cookies the brand cookies is put out there and those are good too yeah, and I was I was actually I was like, man, this is pricey. But uh... Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't buy I didn't buy a second round, but I bought one of each, <laughs> and I enjoyed those bottles while they lasted. hundred <laughs> yeah, uh, percent, and I clearly saw the benefit there. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, if you look around um, the world and you look at people, you know, and this everyone has their perspective on it, but people who have the longest lo longevity are people that are plant based, you know, and so. You know, it's all in the medicine. It's all in the food that we intake. And, uh, you know, mush whether that be mushrooms, whether that be cannabis, you know, there's something there. Have you, do you know much about like the co-use of cannabis and, and psychedelics? I know there's some interesting research going on in the University of Miami there where like people are, you know, using cannabinoids and maybe microdosing. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I don't, I don't know much about it. I know from a personal experience myself that, um, I have seen some benefit with it where, you know, it, cause like I wake up every, every morning, I'm just like a hundred miles an hour, ready to go. It's just the way I'm built. I'm type A all the way. And so, you know, there's times where I just need to tell myself, you got to relax and, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mushrooms and cannabis do that for me. And uh, sometimes they're, when I pair them together, um, I will mention that, like, for me personally, um, like when I do mushrooms, it's, you know, 0 0.5, 0 0.3, maybe a gram at the most. And if I mix that with a, just a little bit of cannabis, I mean, it just, I mean, it takes even more of the weight off my shoulders and, you know, uh, mentally as well. Um, but I don't need much, much um, cannabis. It actually intensifies the effect of cannabis when I do use mushrooms. So um, it's, again, just trying to figure out what's the right amount. Yeah, I I can see that. That's that's really interesting. And I, I, I got to say, I, in all all of my psychedelic experiences uh 
cannabis was always there too. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see this research and, and learn more, but uh, I, I, I did a lot of uh, first person research around this and everybody else around me was doing that research as well. It's, they, <laughs> they seem to be natural, natural mates. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. It's kind of like terpenes and cannabinoids. They go, they're better uh, together in the entourage effect than by themselves, you know? <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it's a, a, a next stage of entourage <laughs> yeah no, there you go <laughs> so it's all the good stuff um so with the john hopkins university research um i know you mentioned connor sheffield is there any focus there with like you know the specific issues that he has or is it only going to be on ptsd that you're working with them on uh, I mean, there definitely is interest in, you know, they've already evaluated some of that because he's been use, use, utilizing it for a period of time already. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely just want to expand that further. And so, you know, it's just unfortunate with cannabis or even mushrooms that the problem comes, there's, there's tons of interest, um, but the problem comes to a funding perspective, right? Where, you know, John Hopkins and many others are like, we would love to do this. We'll submit some grants for it. But, you know, the buck typically stops there, which is why, um, you know, Trisha, who is uh, Connor Sheffield's mom, is just like, she said, you know what? Screw it. We're just going to do our own fundraising campaigns. We're going to come up with the capital ourselves. And then we'll take that money to John Hopkins or whoever else um, who, who really wants to move this needle forward. So. You know, it's just that through that relationship and they already know Connor as a patient, you know, we wanted to start there. Yeah, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. It's exciting. Yeah, Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'd like to switch gears uh, and talk to you about a topic that you know way more than I do, and uh, I I think it would be best for you to educate us, uh, please, about diversity or the lack thereof in the industry uh, and the challenges that you've faced as a person of color in getting funding or uh, I, I feel like perhaps your challenges have been compounded beyond the standard challenges in this industry. So please yeah, help I mean, us understand more and shine a light on, on this issue that we, we need to tackle. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent like diversity, it's really appalling to see what's happening in this industry, right? Because, you know, um, cannabis was something that was utilized by so many races, especially you know, minorities and so forth. I mean, every every race uses cannabis pretty much at the same amount. Um, and, we, you know, minorities really created that legacy market is given, you know, where it came from in Equestadors and so forth from Spanish and then this and so forth. So, you know, now you have these large companies that are called MSOs, but, you know, when you had the large underground legacy dealers, they were called kingpins, right? So it's like, what are we what are we doing here? Um, and now that it's become legal, these people who were considered kingpins, who are exceptional business people, I mean, I mean, we all know a couple of them and, you know, their math skills are off the hook. Right. And so, you know, they're, they're, they really have that business acumen, but they're not getting access to this legal industry because maybe they got hemmed up a couple of times and now they got a record and now they're no longer eligible to participate. But the problem is, is that, you know, across the country, a majority of states, and this has all been done by design, have made it so that minorities and women cannot enter this industry. Because, you know, if you look at it, like in Maryland, for example, in order to even qualify and have a seat at the table to, uh, you know, participate in getting a dispensary license or to participate in getting a grow license, you need a minimum of like three million dollars liquid. And who has that? Um, given the, the racial motive of this country, especially in the 80s, when so many people, uh, black people in particular, were locked up for like crack and so forth, you know, that was never considered a, a national problem or an epidemic. But when, you know, opioids started hitting the suburban neighborhoods and people started dying and this was white people, then we got a national problem. And so it was this address completely different, like that whole 80s 
era was really designed so that it could fragment the black household, you know, because if you look back to like the sixties and seventies, you know, when we had so many activists, the black community was as, as strong as it has ever been. Um, and we really were making a lot of headway. And so as I look at this industry, the same thing is happening where they're putting up certain roadblocks and designing of the industry in a way so that we can't participate effectively. You know, I think only 2% of minorities or women uh, are in this industry, which is just appalling. Um, and so for me, that's Matt, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. Say it louder, man. I mean, it's, it's disgusting. Yeah. And so for me personally, it's been a real challenge, you know, um, even though I come from corporate America, I've started companies before this that have successfully um, exited from it's uh it's still hard for me to be taken seriously especially when it comes to you know i think one of the things that really irritates me is when people are like i tell people about tetragram and they don't understand how <laughs> how how negative it sounds when they say this but when i say hey you know i tell them about tetragram i give them the elevator pitch and they're like so this is your company it's like oh like the, uh, yeah, I, the, as as if like, huh? <laughs> you know so it drives me nuts i know and it, and i can see that they really don't some of them really have no malice behind it but some of them do but that just goes to show like they're just like wow a black guy built this tech company it's just and, and they say it just like that hey, this is your company so you know it's well, hard yeah to- I, I suppose, you know, you look at the valley and uh, it's pretty white and maybe Asian. Like, yeah. they, there's not too many people of color uh, in that Bay Area either. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, definitely yeah, tech for sure. And so, um, you know, it's been really challenging. So, you know, my, my team consists of myself um, and then my two business partners. And one of my business partners, Julius Moore, he's black as well. And then we have uh, Lucas Rowe, who is a Caucasian. And so, you know, like my parents always told me, like, you got to play the game, especially given you're, you know, you're a black man in this country. So you just got to understand the landscape of the field and then play accordingly to win. And so in situations where we will be having conversations with investors, even though I'm the pitch man, I'm the brain, I'm the visionary behind this application, I can see that the tension, not the tension, but the energy was shifting to Lucas, who would just be sitting there answering questions periodically. And so we said, all right, well, Lucas, you're the pitch man, you know, and it's unfortunate that we have to do that. But, you know, when you when you talk to these investors, and I'd say 98% of the investors I've spoken to, they're all white for one. And then secondly, they're all white males. You don't even see any females at the table. And so... I understand nationally people want to feel comfortable around people that they that look like them, but it's just it's just unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. It's it, the, it's awful, uh, and I mean just the the preconceptions that people walk into the room with. Uh, it. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's just. A, do you really want to work with those people even? Oh no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, <laughs> right, you have no no choice, right? Really, I mean, they're the ones with the money, and you need the capital. Yeah, I mean, to a degree. I mean, that's the reason why we've been bootstrapped all this time. I mean, you know, some of it was part of our plan. We wanted to make sure we had an adequate amount of traction so that we can, uh, you know, show up and not get our face ripped off when we start having these conversations with investors, but. You know, the investment side has been really tough. I mean, and then you look at these industries and then, you know, another thing is when people start talking about like, you know, I want a legalization, a federal legalization, you really got to be careful what you're asking for. You know, I always feel like for me personally, especially from a person of minority of color, it's better to have it just be, have cannabis be completely descheduled and let states continue to run the game independently because, if you allow federal legalization when interstate commerce happen, I mean, cannabis is a commodity. And at the end of the day, you know, that $30, $40, uh, I'm just throwing these numbers out there, but at $30, $40, which is the average price for an eighth of weed is going to go to 15 bucks and there's no way you're going to compete. And there's no way social equity is going to exist in that situation. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, if, if we look... Let, let's let's look into the crystal ball like a hundred years out. 
Weed is sold in the grocery store next to the beer, right? Next to the produce and the beer. It's 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 right. just this, right? It's it's yeah. you, you, it belongs there, right? It's a mm-hmm. plant. <laughs> yeah, or in like the health aisle, right? With like supplements if they make pill versions or who knows, but Yeah. Yeah, and, right. It's a commo- it, it's definitely a commodity. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, when it comes to diversity, like you have these companies, these MSOs making billions of dollars and, you know, they just feel like, all right, well, if I write a check for five, 10 grand and say I sponsored this minority cannabis event or I sponsored this company, you know, that's, I checked the box. Well, that's just not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, there needs to be licenses that are specifically set aside for people of color or women. So they have a seat at the table and they can grow their businesses accordingly. And some of that money should be coming directly from these MSOs to help them stand these businesses up, not just a one-time payment. Like, give me a break. So how do you feel about what New York has been doing? Do do you have any visibility of how it's been flown in New York or? Uh, To a degree. um, And from what I've seen and what I've heard from others, it seems like they're putting the right structure in place. Um, The same thing with like New Jersey, where, you know, they're allowing like micro licenses because they understand the, how capital intensive it is. And so, you know, with a micro license, me as a minority who doesn't have access to such capital, I can say, well, let me get this micro license for, you know, let's say 10,000 as opposed to 10 million. And then I can scale that business up over time so that I can further submit my foothold. And um, I think that's great. I mean, like I said, there needs to be licenses that are set aside that, you know, are easier to obtain from a monetary perspective um, so that everyone can participate and then have that ability to scale over time. Right, but it t- it takes more than just the affordability uh, of the license, right? Uh, there's there's resource requirements. There's education requirements. Like, okay, uh, we're we're doing social equity and criminal justice uh, licenses. Great, great idea. But now these people, maybe they've been in the system a bunch of times, how much education around business have they gotten? Right. Or, or maybe they've gotten their education around running an illicit business. And like, there are some standard business structures that could be useful for them to learn, not to mention all the accounting that has to go on because of the crazy 280E tax code stuff and all of that. Like, yeah. We got to invest in restitution for success. Yeah. Yeah. And that that brings up a really great point too, that I I escaped, um, which is why I like what Brendan Robinson is doing, right. Where he started his own academy so that, you know, people who want to get into the industry, whether you, if you need to learn, if you, if you're great at growing, okay, awesome. Are you good at QuickBooks? You know, (laughs) (laughs) like, what, what other facets of running a business do you not understand so that we can make you a well-polished business owner? And so those additional resources are exactly right. I mean, you know, even like, um, you know, providing minorities or women with the ability to, you know, have access to legal counsel at a discounted rate. Like every time my lawyer sends me an email, I, I'm pretty much gasping for air before I even open it, you know? And so... You know, being able to get that at a, at a much more affordable rate um, would be huge as well. Because just nothing's cheap these days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the lawyer bill—you know, you have to pay whatever it is. It's awful. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. So, you know, that's—I really support things that those initiatives that like Brendan Robinson and, and Stan are doing because, you know, to your point, Evan, again, like you know. We know all. We know a lot, but we don't know it all. Like I know how to run a business. I know how to scale a company. I know how to market a, a company. But when it comes to uh, raising capital, it's been completely it's completely foreign to me. And so I've been just reaching out and saying, "Hey, I need help in this." And uh, you know, the feedback has been great. But you know, you're just you're never going to know it all. But you know, being humble enough to understand those pitfalls and reaching out is key for anyone. You know, when I first started in the cannabis industry, wasn't that long ago, like five years ago, I felt like 
I heard so much that this industry was going to be different. There are more women. There are more people of color. And I don't really hear that anymore. And I feel like, you know, was it not true then? Or has it been, have you seen like a shift where more states legalize and maybe that drew the interest of of more people like the MSOs and kind of edged out the minorities? Is that what you've seen? Or was it always like a lack of minorities and, and women? Yeah, always been a lack of minorities. I mean, I've been going to MJ BizCon for, I mean, except for the hiccup, you know, four or five years consecutively. And I will, I will admit that I've seen more and more minorities, people of color, women attending the events as time has gone on. Um, but you really just don't hear it as much to your point, just because you see these MSOs every, it seems like every month there's another MSO that has consolidated another. And so, you know, when that happens, as we talk about, it makes that competitive landscape that much more challenging when you have a company that can easily spend $15 million and next thing you know, they corner that market. This makes it, it starts to suppress the voices who are trying to get into this industry. Mm -hmm. But I will say that. um, True leave. Yeah. (laughs) Amen to that. Um, But I will admit that, you know, the fight continues and people are resilient, um, you know, and so I I think we're going to continue on. But it's just more important than ever that we band together. You know, I had a conversation with a woman. I won't name her name, but she's really well known. She does a lot of legislative work. Um, to help fight for minorities. And I was like, hey, do you know this person? Do you know that person? She was like, no. And I was like, oh, well, let me introduce you because they're they're fighting the same fight as you. And she was just like, no, thank you. I'm just like, I thought we're trying, I thought we're both working towards the same goal here. So what, like she, she knows enough people? Yeah, you know, some people, you know, a lot of people with egos, a lot of, a lot of yeah. big egos in this industry, dude. And uh, I just talked to yeah, I just took it up to her her ego, and um, it was really off-putting. So I was just like, all right, talk to you later. Click. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but I, I, I think you said the 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 key word. It, it's it's resilience, right? Endurance. Like, that that is the key to success. Uh, uh, it's, it's just putting your head down and grinding it out until you get there. Um, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you got to hit that that rock bottom uh, spot before everything just starts really shifting for you. I mean, anyone you've listened to who's made it to what the society considers, you know, meteoric uh, meteoric success, you know, they basically had like their last dollar in their pocket. Then that phone rang or that email happened, and then next thing you know, their whole life changed. So, stay in the course and never giving up is always going to be the key. That's great advice. So, I mean, I'd, I'd love to keep talking about this. I know we're kind of running tight on time, but I, I want to know what can we do, like, you know, Evan and I, the industry in general, people that are listening to this, like, what can we do to to help make a change? Like, can you think of anything? Just just keep, you know, raising up other voices. Is there anything else? Any other ways yeah. to help? Yeah, I mean, just like you uh, provided me with the opportunity to uh, jump on here and run my mouth today and... Uh, <laughs> You know, promote my company. I mean, that's that's key. I mean, just um, I think the ultimate, the thing that we all can do as people in this industry and just, um, you know, as human beings, is just be nice and kind to each other. Crying out loud, like I know it's tough these days when everything is so expensive and you know, everything is just a challenge right now. But so I can see why people get a little amped up and get you know more aggressive, but. We got to be we got to be welcoming and open arms to everyone because as long as they have to share the same passion and vision for you know showing the value of cannabis whether it be medically or recreationally um you know align with those people like when people as, as you guys know how crazy busy i am but if somebody sends me a linkedin and it's like hey look i love what you're doing or i'm trying to do this i'm sure i'm trying to do that i will carve out time to at least have a conversation with them because that I'm, it's me paying it forward. Like I did the same the same stuff when I was initially getting into this industry. I was just paying people, and you know those certain people actually responded, and I knew how busy they were, but they allowed to they allowed to give me time, and that's been that's what we can all, all do for people. And I'm sure part of the reason they gave you that time is because you, yeah, you were reaching out 
uh, but you were genuine in mm-hmm. in I doing it. You were exactly. very genuine, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I wear my heart on my sleeve, and uh, sometimes I get bit, but at the end of the day, it's it's the only way I'm built, and I think that's um, we just got to give everybody that opportunity, you know. Yeah, we we, we got to work together. Uh, I yeah. rising tide and all that. So we 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 just keep plugging away and and take our opportunities and share them where we can. Yeah, and this and this tap into the culture. Like, you know, if people don't understand the culture of cannabis, then yeah, you're not gonna get much of my time. Like you you have to understand the culture, <laughs> you know, and, and represent those people and protect them, right? Like I think I think that's one of the reasons why we've been so successful in our adoption without any uh any marketing spend is because I'm out there in the street. You know, my car is only three years old. It has a hundred thousand miles on it, you know, because I get out in the street. I talk to the patients. I talk to everyone and just form those relationships in a genuine way. It's not artificial. It's not transactional. Beautiful. Yeah. So what do you hope to see happen in the next four to five years in the cannabis industry? I hope to see cannabis get descheduled uh, first and foremost, and I really want to see, you know, uh, a hockey stick of more people of color and women just having a seat at the table and owning a business. Um, I want to see more diversity happening at the regulatory level so that these states can say, like, damn, we we missed the mark. We need to we need to start amending some of these laws so that we can make it more amenable for people of color and women to enter this business. But that's where my heart really, really sits. And it's not because, you know, I'm a person of color. So it's, it's not because of that bias. It's just because, I mean, it's just 2%, like 2%, you know? 2%. It's, it, it's stupid. Like it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around something like that. Right. Right. Like, um, you know, my mother has a doctorate in education, which is part of, which is a lot of the reason why I'm so into the knowledge of, of cannabis and what I'm doing. This is it's part of my DNA. Um, but when I told her two percent, she's just like she thought I was like lying to her. She's like, Are you serious? Like, yeah, it, it sounds like an exaggeration. Right, right. right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, how is that even possible? Um and you know, one and I like to see more people of color actually have an opportunity to be uh, speakers and, and panelists at these different conventions. Cause I mean, you guys know you go to these conventions, it's the same people every damn time, every time. Mm-hmm. That's why part of the reason why I don't even go to sessions anymore because, oh yeah, I mean, he'll hear this spill again. Not, not interested. I mean, I want, there needs to be fresh faces and those faces have to come from a, di- a diverse group of people because I mean, that's the beauty of humanity, right? We all come from different backgrounds and that's how we create better more innovative products for the world to to utilize yeah that's a great point and i think sometimes like we had um josh crossney on recently talking about the cannabis science conference it's it's seeking people out that that are diverse and inviting them to speak you can't just sit and wait for them to approach you yeah i mean that's definitely something we'll be trying to do with that conference is you know include more voices and more people with diverse backgrounds it's really important they all have different perspectives and um stories to share that are really relevant yeah shout out to uh josh crosney that is my guy right there <laughs> um you know he's a maryland he's from maryland as well and um you know he's opened up the doors a lot for me um so eternally grateful for him and everything that he's he's doing as well i wish i could be out there and uh out in Cali for his event. Um, but you know, we got to stick and stay to the lab and uh, get this B2 out the door. Well, we're coming back to Baltimore in September, so I'm sure we'll see you then. Oh, most certainly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I don't know, Evan, do you think we have time to ask anymore? I've got, I've got one more question. Okay. Um, uh, and you can choose not to answer it if if you don't want to. Uh, but do do you think at this point the MSOs are now lobbying against federal legalization? Interesting. They have this giant barrier to entry that they've overcome, 
And that's that's essentially their secret sauce. They know how to run a business under different laws in different states. And federal legalization drops that barrier, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. Um, I would say yes, um, because even though they don't like 280E, they're finding other ways to try to fight that and hopefully get it amended. Um, this completely released. Um, but I would say absolutely, because to your point, they, they have an ability right now where they have such a, a, a chokehold on the industry that they don't have to worry about Pepsi or, you know, Coca-Cola coming in or, you know, if you're a delivery company, you know, Ease doesn't have to worry about Uber coming in and so forth. Or, or you know, Amazon. Yeah, or Amazon. Right, right? Doesn't, uh, Amazon delivers everything to your house. You think they're not trying to deliver cannabis? 100%. Um, you know, big tobacco wants to get in this. Alcohol, of course, wants to get in this. So, yeah, it definitely plays to their benefit for it to stay um, illegal for a lot longer. Um, I do think that they have a time. I don't know. I would love to know, be inside those rooms to know, like, when they think, all right, we've got enough of the market that we can actually you know, protect ourselves and shield us against once that's happening. But I think at the end of the day, once federal legalization happens, they just want to get bought out for hundreds of billions of dollars. So, yeah, I do agree that they're lobbying to keep cannabis federally illegal. Wild. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Download Tetragram today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, please, you know, this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, enjoyed the opportunity to sit here and uh, share my truth about what got me into it, what I'm passionate about. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I just view Tetragram as the, the, the platform that can really reshape this industry in so many ways because, you know, with the data that we collect, we can... I mean, it's always been our goal, especially with version two with the data that we collect. We utilize that data as an educational tool for dispensaries so that, you know, now as a bud tender, if I walk into the store and you got, you know, Walmart selection of products to choose from, I can now look at Tetragram and say, okay, well, everyone, every one of these products has had thousands of reviews associated with it from Tetragram. And so that helps that bud tender feel more confident in making a recommendation. Um, you know, as we look at the uh, these cultivars, like all three of us can have a strain called mimosa. But if we look at the data that we collect from Tetragram, we can say, wow, well, you know, Mega's mimosa is selling better than Otha's mimosa and Evan's mimosa. Why is that? And it's working well for PTSD. Well, let's examine that better. So, you know, establishing the first ranking system is ca in cannabis is something that we can do. Um, and then, of course, helping medical professionals, because a lot of doctors want to prevent, uh, want to um, prevent the use of opi opioid use and prescription pills, but they see some benefit in cannabis, but you know, they're, they've been trained to look at data before they start rec recommending anything. So that's why I say, uh, I think we could really reshape this industry in a positive way. And this all needs to be through data. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Otha. We appreciate you taking some time to tell us about Tetragram and your work to help move the cannabis industry forward. Well, I appreciate you guys. Have a great day. We appreciate you, Otha.